Well, good morning, Christ Church. My name is Charlie Browning. I'm the campus pastor at our Butterfield campus, and it is so good to be with you today uh, here at the Oakbrook campus and, and for those of you that are joining us online uh, as we continue this journey through the Advent season, this, this journey that we're going on as a church leading up to the celebration of Christmas and the birth of Christ. And and today, we're, or I shouldn't say just today, throughout this entire series, we're parking ourselves through this Advent sermon series in Matthew chapter 2, uh, the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, in a series that we're calling Magical. And we're calling it Magical because it tells the story, and we're looking at the story of the Magi, and, and specifically looking at the Christmas story through their eyes. Oh, the Magi have experienced, how, how can they help us better understand the Christmas story. And so this morning we'll be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, and then skipping ahead to verse 9. So if you have a Bible, grab it. If you have your phone, um, you can Google Matthew chapter 2. It'll take you there and the words will be on the screen. But however you want, I'd encourage you to follow along as we journey through it together. Matthew 2, verse 1, begins this way. It says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw him, we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him, they said. And then skipping ahead all the way to verse 9, it says, After they heard the king, and referencing Herod, of which we'll return to next week, after they heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them, until it stopped over the place where the child was, or until it stopped over the place where Jesus himself was. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 starts with these four words after Jesus was born. We're in the season of Advent leading up to Christmas. Uh, anticipating the coming of Christmas and the birth of Jesus. And we're going to spend our entire Advent sermon series in a text that starts by saying, after Jesus was born. Huh? At first, it might seem a little bit odd. Why are we journeying through a text that happens after Christmas when it's not Christmas yet? Well, I think... If you look at it a little bit closer, I don't actually think it's that bizarre at all. In fact, I think it makes a a whole lot of sense. And here's why. At a very basic level, here's why, is that uh, we live after Jesus was born. That that's the part of history that, that we have the opportunity to live in after Jesus was born. And so we live in a season where Christ has already come. He's already been born of the Virgin Mary, he's lived on the earth in the first century Roman Empire, he was crucified, dead, and buried, and then three days later he raised again to life and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That that's the side of the story that we live on. And yet, just like the people who lived before Jesus was born, those of us who live after Jesus is born, we still are waiting we're still sort of living in Advent in this waiting season. Pastor Fleming Rutledge observes this about the 
the nature of our lives. She says, in a very deep sense, the entire Christian life in this world is lived in Advent or in in waiting, as the word means. Between the first and second comings of the Lord, in the midst of the tension between things the way they are and things the way they ought to be. And then Pastor Sharon Hottie Miller follows up on this and she writes something similar. Recently she wrote, the original Christmas story began with uncertainty, rejection, fear, vulnerability, darkness, and the prolonged silence of God. She goes on to say, if your soul feels dissonant with the shininess of cultural Christmas, just know that you are perfectly in tune with Advent. What both of these pastors are getting at is that even those of us who are born or live after Jesus was born, we live in sort of this perpetual advent, this season of waiting. You see, because we know Jesus has been born and we rest in the incredible hope that that gives and we relish every single day that God has made it known that he is with us above all else. And yet, we look around at this world and we think, Wow, this place is broken. The world we live in is just so messed up. And so what do we do? We wait. We wait until that fateful day when Jesus Christ will come again, when all things will be made new, when the brokenness and the despair and the darkness and the death of this world will be no more forever. We live sort of in this perpetual season of Advent, even after the birth of Jesus. And so, Part of the reason that we turn to Matthew chapter 2 of all places in thinking about this Advent season is because I think it has a lot to say to us about what it looks like for us to live as followers of Jesus in a world of almost but not yet. In this tension between the birth of Jesus having happened and the coming back of Jesus having not happened yet. And you see, when you start in Matthew chapter two, it makes it clear that after Jesus was born, the first thing that happens is saying Jesus has been born and then it immediately turns its attention to the story of these magi. And what do we know about these magi characters? Well, if you were with us last week, then we know Dan Dan showed us a few things that we definitely know to be true about them. One is they come from the east. These are magi from the east. We also know that they, they were more than likely wise scholars of sorts. Um, that, that oftentimes you even refer to them, you've heard of them as the wise men. Um, that, that, that vocationally, they were these wise scholarly people. We, we, often, we also know about the Magi is that, that, that they were seeking the things of God, that they had big questions in life, that they wanted to understand what was going on, how all these pieces of life fit together, where purpose could be derived from, how to be fulfilled. They had big questions about God. And so we begin to piece together some of their story in order to begin to understand that the Magi themselves, um, they were in their own sort of advent, that they were waiting too, waiting on what was to come. And here, here's my theory, I think, that, that is definitely true of me, and I'd imagine or, or wonder if it's true of, of many of us here as well. 
that my theory is that of all the characters in the Christmas story, that the Magi are the most relatable to you and to me. That I think that on so many levels, the Magi story is our story too. You know, there's a, uh, uh, a scene in, in one of the recent Avengers Endgame movies, uh, and, and spoiler alert a little bit, but like, there's a lot of things that happen in this movie. This is a tiny spoiler amidst all the other important things. So hear me out and close your ears if you haven't seen it and you don't want the spoiler. But uh, Tony Stark is, is one of the main characters, and he's the Iron Man character in this Avengers Marvel movie. And, and he actually at some point goes back in time And at that point, he encounters a younger version of himself, or I'm sorry, a younger version of his dad. And there's this beautiful moment in the movie where where the scene just kind of stops as Tony is struck by looking straight face to face at a young version of his dad. And you can tell in his mind that he is seeing so much of himself in the younger version of his dad. I am certainly no Iron Man, but I had the exact same experience this week as I read Matthew chapter two. I read the story of these magi and I thought to myself, I was struck dead by the fact, in my steps, by the fact that their story is so much of our story too. There's so much of what is saying about them and where they're situated is so true of us. I mean, these magi, that they were seeking big questions, that they they were looking for purpose and fulfillment and hope. They were afraid of a lot of things. They had wonderings about the future. They wanted to figure out where this like true, everlasting, real type of life could be found. And so it just makes me wonder that, that maybe you just, maybe the magi in their story is a whole lot like us in our story too. And the longings and the things we're chasing after. And so then what happens in Matthew chapter 2 is we see that the Magi have these longings and then they encounter this star as it rises. And it says that we don't, we don't exactly see well, how do they get there or what's the star look like or how do they know to follow it or none of these questions are answered. The only thing that we have in the text is that they're already in Jerusalem and they're sort of retroactively saying, here's how we got here. The star rose and we followed it and now we're here and then later in the text in verse nine, it says, and then we continued to follow it until it stopped over where Jesus was. And if you're like me, then... Uh, You read a story about a traveling star that's guiding people to a specific geographic location, and you've got a few questions. What's going on with the star? And so a a quick tangent here, and and to just just talk about what's up with the star. uh, One thing that is really helpful, I think, to know is, is that stars, when they were written about or spoken about in biblical times, they weren't just referred to in the scientific fashion. That when people were talking about stars, they weren't just talking about balls of gas. That, that stars actually had significance in that time. They were attached to specific events that had, that had incredible meaning. And you see this throughout the ways that historians have documented significant events before and around and after the life and the death of Jesus. 
uh, you could see a, a couple main events that, that we see being documented, that, that following the assassination of Julius Caesar, the historian Dio records that a certain star appeared in the north. There's some significance here, that, that at the Emperor Nero's death, a comet began to appear on several occasions, the historian Suetonius says. And then when Jerusalem was destroyed, Historian Josephus says, there's a star resembling a sword that stood over the city. And so what I think we can surmise is that this wasn't that uncommon. The, the, the people of this time, if someone was writing like they are in Matthew, that this star appears to signify something important happening, nobody would have flinched. That would have been normal. And so, and so if it by chance was a star that signified the birth of the Jewish Messiah that would come to save the world, that that would have been told by the coming of a star, probably. Well, okay, so it makes sense that there is a star out there somewhere and it was attached to an important event like the birth of Jesus, but what in the world is this star? What's the makeup of the star? And for the three of you today that are super interested in this and want a deep, deep dive, I will send you my notes after. <laughs> for the rest of us, here's a quick summary of some potential options of what this star was. I mean, the first is it could have been a comet or a meteor that was flying through the sky and the Magi are saying, okay, we're chasing after that. We gotta follow that. And it was moving them in the right direction. The second is it could have been a supernova of sorts. So it could have been an explosion of a star within a star, creates a new star, big blaze of light that they're following in that sense. And that it could have actually been a conjunction of planets that it, in 6 BC there's a, recording, a recorded conjunction of Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars that could have potentially been correlated to what's happening here in this text that, that might have led the Magi to follow it. And then finally, it could have been an angel or it could have been a revelation of some sort of God's glory. And, and, and actually, Numbers 24 prophesies this in many ways. Uh, the writer of Numbers 24 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. And says, a star will come out of Jacob a scepter will rise out of Israel. This sort of angelic being could have been the same, same type of thing that we see in Exodus in our last sermon series in Exodus 13, as God is guiding the people of Israel into the promised land by a, cloud of, or a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. It, would have been this, it could have been this type of angelic being. Here's the thing about what the star was. Uh, you can choose. We, we don't know for sure. All of these are really, really valid options. And so you can go with any of them. Scholars, theologians, historians, meteorologists, they, they all pick one. And, and, and any of them could make sense. But, but here's the thing, no matter which one you choose, here's the thing that we absolutely know about this star. We know that it led the Magi closer to God. The thing we know about the star is we know that it brought the Magi closer to Jesus. I mentioned earlier, and, and as we've been going through this text, that my theory is that in so many ways, our story is like the Magi story. And for all the reasons I listed earlier, I think that's true, but this is the main one, this star. You see, because here's the reality of their life. They lived after Jesus was born, Jesus was alive and he was available to them, but it was not guaranteed that they would find him. Is the same not true for us? That Jesus is alive and he is available to us to grow deeper and deeper into him 
And yet it is not guaranteed that we will find him or that we will be drawn closer and closer to him. No, what we often need is a star that is God's way of guiding us closer to him. You see, I think that our lives, just like the Magi's, are comprised of all kinds of stars. All of these different opportunities and people and things in our lives that could take us any kind of different direction. And here's the thing that I think some of them that we follow, they'll draw us closer to Jesus. And some of them, if we follow them, they will draw us further away from Jesus. That our life is a whole lot less like Mary and Joseph and the 12 disciples who are walking hand in hand with Jesus in the flesh. I think it's a whole lot more like the Magi who are seeking and searching for some sort of truth and fulfillment and purpose and looking up at a sky of stars, a bunch of different people and opportunities and things that come into our lives. And we've got to figure out which ones are going to lead me toward that truth and fulfillment and which ones are going to lead me away from it. I think we're a lot like them. You can read the Bible and, and, and encounter God and experience him in all kinds of different ways. Uh, and, and it happens all the time. But, but in the most simplistic, formulaic way, if you're interested in uh, approaching the scripture and saying, what, does, what, is, what is it saying? Uh, you can ask two really basic questions for any passage. Uh, the first is, what does this tell me about God? What do I learn about his heart, his character, what he loves? And the second is, what does it tell me about what it's like to live the Christian life? What does it tell me about what it looks like to be a follower of him, to follow the way of Jesus and to submit myself to him? You can ask those two questions and I think this text has so much to say about both of them. And here's what I think it has to say about what it looks like to, to understand and to know God better. You see, what I think this text tells us about God is that he is constantly putting these stars, these these people, these opportunities, these things in our lives that will draw us closer to him. He did it for the Magi, and that's not the only story in the Bible where this happens. He gets constantly, if you read the scriptures, constantly putting these people and opportunities and things in various people's lives that are gonna draw them closer to him. And I think he does it for us too. I think this is exactly what he does. It's like God decided in the story of the Magi that it was not enough. He was not done just to come down from heaven into earth in the form of Jesus Christ. It's like he said, I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to come down in the form of a human being, take on flesh as Jesus Christ himself, but I'm not going to stop there. Then I'm going to send the Magi a star to draw them to him. That's what we see. That's what the stars in our life are for. They're God's way of drawing us closer and closer to him. You see, on the surface, this passage, this, this story of the Magi in Matthew chapter 2, on the surface, it, it's about a, a couple of wise scholars who are following this sort of bizarre moving star. Uh, under the surface, this passage is all about God's extreme care and his heart to draw us closer to himself by any means necessary. 
It's about God's relentless pursuit of drawing us closer to him. If you close your eyes and just sort of envision this star for a second. Um, if you're like me and you're, you're, you're thinking about the star, you're, you're probably imagining an incredibly bright, super large, impossible to miss star. That's at least how I've seen it being portrayed. And it's possible it was. But I guess my question is, if it was so obvious and so bright and so massive, then how come more people didn't go check it out? How come the only people who followed this thing to see what was going on there was a group of wise men, a group of magi from the east? Why wasn't everybody flocking in droves to this incredibly bright, massive, radiantly streaming star? You see, I think that this has so much to tell us about what it looks like to live the Christian life. Because it, it, it's just me, this is just Charlie's opinion. But, but I actually don't think the star was that bright. I, I have a hard time imagining it was so big and so bright that you couldn't miss it. No, on the contrary, I actually think in order for the, disciple, or the, the Magi to recognize that star, they had to be purposely looking for it. I think that's the only way they would have recognized it. And I think the exact same thing is true in our lives. That in order for us to recognize the stars, these, these people and these opportunities and these things that God puts in our life to draw us closer to him, we've got to be purposely looking for them or we will not see them. I can't tell you the number of times, and, and I do this too, so it, it's not a negative thing, but I can't tell you the number of times I've been in conversations with people and they said, God has not shown me any sort of bright star. There, there's nothing out there that, that he is making himself so obvious that says, here's where you go, or here's what you do, or don't worry, I'm real, I'm right here. He never does that for me. And here's the thing I think we learned from the text, is I think God's response to that is he leans in a little closer and he goes, are you really looking? Are you sure you're looking that hard? Because you got, you got to be actually seeking it in order to find it. And I don't know what that looks like for you. I don't know what kinds of stars God has or wants to put in your life. But I do know that we have to be purposely seeking them in order to recognize them. A few of the ones that he's put in my life, uh, the ways that he's drawn me closer to him, he, he, he's used solitude and silence, going away from everybody else. He's used walks in his creation in nature. He's used a small group community. He's used a dead-end job that was really boring. He's used two incredible kids. He's used a high school sweetheart. He's used a mentor. He's used a friend. He's used all kinds of different things as these stars in my life that are gonna draw me closer to him. And I just know for a fact that he is doing that for you too. The question is, are we really looking for it? Are we actively seeking it out? You know, it's one thing to, uh, to recognize the star. 
And it's a whole nother thing entirely to actually then follow it. Dan mentioned last week as he was talking about the Magi that in order to follow the star, they would have to pack up their bags, they would have to clear their calendars, they would have to say goodbye to their home, and they would have to go on a pretty significant journey. I think the same thing is true of us. That, it, that if we're really going to follow the stars that God puts in our life, that it's going to require some pretty incredible intentionality. That, that we're probably going to actually have to reorient things in our life. That we, even at a simple level, we might have to remind ourselves every day about the practices that actually draw us closer to him and to do them. We, we might have to clear our calendar or reorganize it in order to make time for that small group. We, we might have to be courageous enough to reach out to the, the potential spiritual mentor who can walk us through the season that we're going and the list goes on and on and on. I don't know what it is for you, but I do think that the story tells us that, that if we're gonna actually follow the stars that God puts in our life that are gonna lead us closer to him, then like the Magi, we have to believe that being closer to Jesus is worth reorienting any part of our life to get there. That, that it's that worth it. And then finally, we... See in Matthew chapter two, verse nine, that the star, the, the Magi follow the star and it leads them to the place where Jesus is and it stops right there. You see, what we see pretty clearly here is that the star had one purpose. The star's purpose was to lead the Magi closer to Jesus. The star was not the end itself. No, Jesus is the end itself, and it's the same thing in our lives. The stars that God puts in our lives are not the end-all, be-all. What they point to is Jesus Christ himself. When we were growing up in grade school, we, we got, a, for Christmas, a big telescope, it's one of those massive things. I don't even know they exist anymore, but uh, it was one of these massive things that was like, you know, about as tall as me at that time. And uh, it was supposed to really let us be able to see these cool constellations and zoom in on stars and maybe planets and all these other things. And I was pumped. I remember sitting there one night after we got it with my grandpa. And, and I'm telling him, I'm like, Grandpa, this thing is amazing. I'm looking at all the, the different lenses and the different gadgets. I say, this thing is amazing. And he just sort of pauses, looks at the telescope, looks up at the sky. He goes, that thing is cool. And then he looks up at the sky and he goes, but the thing it points to is way better. I think the same thing is true for every single star that God puts in our life. All these people and things and opportunities, they are cool. But what they point to, Jesus Christ is way better. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this morning for the opportunity to be in community 
together, to sit at the feet of whatever it is that your word has to say to us this morning. And Lord, we thank you for the stars that you are putting in our lives. God, thank you that you are relentlessly pursuing us by placing things and people and opportunities in our lives that are meant to draw us closer and closer to you. And we ask that you would throw more of them at us. And Lord, we recognize a need to open our eyes to be purposely looking for those things, to be courageously following them and to recognize that they have a purpose to draw us closer to you, that that is the end goal. God, we just want to know you more. We thank you and we praise you, saying all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen.